0: Welcome to the Haunted Hacker podcast. Number I don't know, Jacks. I usually let my uh, my guests pick the number, so pick a number.
1: Sixty three popped into my head.
0: Perfect. Episode yep. number sixty three. Um, so today we have Jack Scott on the show. Um, I'll have her introduce herself here in a minute. Uh, go through a little bit of news and housekeeping. Uh, really don't have to worry about the housekeeping because it's just the three of us. Um, news been super busy. Uh, we'll be speaking in Oklahoma City next month, um, also in South Africa and Cyprus this month. Uh, so stay tuned for dates on that. So Jax, it's so awesome to have you here um, on the show. We have a lot of similar, similar background uh, points, and I think it'll be a really good conversation. So why don't you um, introduce yourself and a little, give a little bit of background about you know how you got into cyber and, and kind of your journey?
1: Absolutely, Mike. So excited to be here. I love the conversation we were having even before we hit record, so this will be a fun episode. My background is really unique in how I got into the space that I'm in today, being in really cyber threat intel and running my own firm. It started in 2008 when I went into IT while I served in the military at that time, active duty. And it was, there wasn't cyber. So IT was working, help desk doing SharePoint. And I would do stuff like setting up network infrastructures in the middle of a, a field in a, what we called a big ass tent, a bat. And we would just, we would set up those infrastructures, we would run operations and we'd come back. So that was kind of my background for a really long time, really on the network side. And I hated it. I despised it. I wanted out of it because they always treated IT and the G6 and S6 guys, just terrible in the military. So when I had an opportunity to get out of it, it was to go to special ops. So I joined this really unique program for just women called the cultural support team program. And through that, I started getting into the intelligence world, but the the physical human side of intelligence and understanding how to get information off of uh, specifically women and children in the Middle East. And the reason we were doing that is to fill the information gap in that area. So I did that for a few years. And then what happened is I got an opportunity to go into a new branch called electronic warfare. And I I became a warrant officer in that branch. And I was so happy because I was finally out of IT for a few years. And then what happened is the next thing you know, the army had this brilliant idea to put electronic warfare under cyber command because that makes complete sense. And the next thing you know, I am now sitting in cyber. And so that, that was the best and the worst thing that could have happened to me because obviously I was thinking cyber and IT were the same thing, but they aren't. And through that experience and working in special ops, I was able to see how cyber operations play out specifically in the Eastern Europe area with our near pair adversaries. And I was able to apply my intelligence understanding, start learning about ABT and threat groups in that area. And I came back and the next thing you know, I'm in the cyber threat intel space. And fast forward a few years, I took all of that knowledge and then being also a business owner in the past to where I'm at today, which I run my own cybersecurity advisory firm. So I I assist clients with really anything they need, but we're really now in the space of uh, governments and risk and compliance, uh, but we can also afford them pen testing and cyber threat intel and things like that, but yeah.
0: That's really cool. So our, our similarities are, are pretty amazing. So I did intelligence in the military, um, Start off with signal intelligence and then went into uh, the cyber warfare rate. Uh, so I, at one point I worked for the J6 uh, at USGFcom in the yeah. CND, in the CND cell. And then uh, went on to work at Bank of America in threat management and and, uh, pen testing and red teaming. Uh, So there's a whole lot of similarities with our backgrounds. And I think even today, like some of the uh, similarities we have in current situations I think is is really interesting. Um, So I was doing like a little bit of background, like checking out your social media and stuff like that. And I found it really interesting. So you you get into the actual like weapons and and stuff like that as well, um, which I really found fascinating. I saw some of the, some of the training that you did and I thought it was really cool. Um, I still do a lot of weapon stuff. Um, I did have a Lapua 338 and long distance was my thing. I I like to play AT&T and reach out and touch somebody. Um, So tell me what it was like being in special ops as a, as a female and, and part of that group, that new group that that's trying to build a culture around that.
1: Yeah, that's such a great question because we just had uh, our, we call it our CST uh, reunion every year. There's a small group of us that get together and la- last week we did a Ragnar race and I'm telling you it's the last time I'm ever doing a Ragnar race. What a Ragnar race is, there's two, but we did the trail one. You run, uh, you run 16 miles, three different lakes and I was very fortunate that two of mine were in the dark and that is complete sarcasm. And so I will, I will say that all of, most of our knees hurt and our hips hurt and we're reaching an age where we're like, yeah, we can't, we're not in our twenties and thirties anymore, but the, the program was super unique because in 2011, we were the first team to be like volunteered. They had a team right before us that were voluntold. The military's really good at doing that. Like, yeah. Hey, you will do this. And so we had, we were selected through a paper selection process, like a packet process, and then we went through mini selection, very similar to what the SF guys go through. But it was a couple of weeks. Once you're selected through that, you go through an entire cultural uh, training, combatives training, psychological review, everything. Um, so that was, you know, that in itself was shocking. But really, what was shocking, Mike, was when we went out there and you're you deploys a two man team, two women and you might have an interpreter. That was the ideal environment, obviously, female interpreter, two-man team. And you would be, literally, we were heloed in and our stuff was dropped off on from a helo. And then the helo took off and we're in the base in the middle of nowhere, Northern Afghanistan. And you're two women with a crew of, depending on the size of the base, 12 to 30 people. That is it. And it is, depending on your team, it's all based on the team that you land with, if they're gonna be accepting you or not. And I worked with quite a few teams. We were kicked off the island several times, literally told that you're kicked off the island, go somewhere else. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I I remember being told by the 18 Bravo, the, the weapons guy, that the reason that he joined the military is so he could grow a be- beard and not work with people like me. And I didn't take what they were saying um, like negatively. I really tried to take a stance of, how would they feel? How would I feel if this was like this, this was the way that SF was since the 1983, 1984 is when the branch was legitimately founded, but it was the SF was around before that, like Vietnam times. And now they have women in their ranks. And so I was really trying to take the stance of how would I feel, but then more so how can I become more part of the team? And so that's actually when I got into shooting, I started going out on my own. I started because we had our range right there on base. I started learning electrical work. I started doing work around base. I started trying to cook whatever I could to be part of the team, Mm -hmm. but it wasn't easy. You definitely had to be thick skin. A lot of the women didn't succeed in the same way because they didn't know how to go into uh, an environment that didn't foster diversity and wasn't a fan of you. It didn't matter what types of skills that you brought. You were a woman. That's a lot of times what happened so the experience was rewarding but it was still a very very challenging experience but i wouldn't i would definitely do it all over again if i had the opportunity for oh, sure absolutely. Yeah.
0: absolutely some of those uh, fobs can be really interesting too as far as embedded culture and, and you know the people that are there um so yeah like th- that kind of experience um, i kind of equate it to what it was like for women to get into it and cyber um, especially in industry right now. I mean, you still have that, that whole issue of women in cyber and, and really having to fight for you know, respect and stuff like that. And uh, I've always been a big advocate for, for women in cyber um, because I think it takes both mindsets, uh, both the male and female way of thinking uh, because we do, we do think distinctly differently, but I think it takes both, both mindsets to make a good picture. Um, And I I think that's important. But there's a lot of, you know, old timers and old schoolers that that don't necessarily think that way and make it very difficult. Have you experienced that same type of struggle in in cybersecurity?
1: Yeah, I have. And it's really unfortunate, Mike, because I think that I thought it was going to be different. Mm -hmm. When I left full time military, and I came into this sector, I thought it couldn't be like, you know, in the SF, it couldn't be that that closed off, that closed minded. It is. Is it as bad? No, but it's still it's still happening. But what I have found, it's really dependent on the organization. But even more so, because you can have organizational culture, but really it drills down to the team level and the manager and the leader of that team. And for me, I if I do not feel that I am being seen or I'm being heard as part of the team, then I would move on um, because it's really hard to change the leadership and the culture of that environment. But what you can do is take yourself out of that situation. And that's actually what I did. And that was one of the other reasons why I launched my company is because I wanted to create my own environment, but I also am a huge advocate for uplifting women in this industry. And so not only did I create my own company and just say, okay, I'm gonna just do this again, but then I started reaching out to other women to start trying to uplift them, to bring them into the community and help mentor and mentee them because I never had a female mentor in this space. And the ones that I wanted, it was it was as if, not that, it was, it was like a competition. And I didn't right. understand that either in this space where in the military, I never had that opportunity to even have a female mentor. So right. coming into this space, I'm like, oh, that would be easy. I mean, I'm a woman, they're a woman, they've already made it. They're gonna definitely wanna uplift me that's actually not what I have what I've incurred in this in this arena. It's more of a competition with the upper line executive women. So that was also disheartening to me.
0: Yeah, and that's really strange too, because you know I, I would think that being that in the beginning of cyber there were very few females in the industry, um, I would I would have thought that they would have bonded together and, and helped each other out. But I guess it's that you know I've made my way and I don't want to risk anything, so I'm going to keep everything to myself. Um, And and it's funny because in the cybersecurity industry, what I found is a lot of the old school thinking comes from the fact that a lot of cyber um, is populated by ex-military and that that same mentality still carries over into cybersecurity. And even in in, uh, the space that I work in, there's still a lot of that thinking, um, especially with outsiders that are coming in, people who are coming from other industries And, you know, people with different backgrounds. Uh, I've I've struggled a little bit with with my background as far as, you know, the hacking stuff and and stuff like that. I actually had a CPA firm uh, turn me down uh, for um, a consulting engagement because of the fact that I was affiliated in my past with a hacking group. And I thought, you know, that's so so narrow thinking. But, Mm -hmm. you know, it is what it is. I just, like you, I just move on and go to the next stop. Um, So, like... The best people that I've talked to so far in my talks that I give are the women in cybersecurity groups. They're so hungry for information and, you know, they respect when people come and, and share that with them. Um, you know, I think the, the groups I've spoken to, especially in, in Kansas have been like extraordinary. Um, do you speak at some of those women in cybersecurity groups and, and conferences or, you know, what do you mainly focus on when, when you give talks?
1: Yeah, I actually want to speak at one of the, the WICs that are coming up, but I, to be fully transparent, I am so saturated this year that I, I know that they have the proposals open right now. And I'm like, Oof, I don't even know if I can take on another one, but what I'm a huge fan of is SheCurity. And I spoke last year at SheCurity. I love Deidre Diamond. She's amazing. She's a huge advocate for women in this space. I absolutely adore her. I actually had her on our podcast. And I was reaching out to her about security and for the, the talk this year. And I actually just didn't, I didn't even support uh, submit my proposal because I was just overloaded, but I love doing those, the female specific ones. Um, and then I like VetSec, VetSecCon, Veteran Security Conference. I love that one. I love supporting Tom and that team. So that's another area what i don't like doing are the really really big ones that have turned into more like rsas that have turned more into vendors. Um, yeah. yeah i try to actually avoid those i'm not there to be on stage to get recognized instead i want to do i want to do engagements with the community of individuals that are hungry to learn and to connect and to thrive as a community. So I really focus on those speaking engagements.
0: Yeah, yeah I, I do too. I, I don't like the big ones that are vendor specific because I no. don't take a vendor you know, a vendor stance or you know side with any vendors. As a matter of fact, most of my talks are talking about how vendors are, are failing industry as a whole. Um, yeah. so, so I'm not welcome at those large ones, I don't think uh, because of that. So you worked at, what'd you say, Capital One?
1: I did, yeah, I worked there for a year. It's great.
0: So what, what, what was that experience like? Cause I, I worked for bank of America for a couple of years and, and I have my own thoughts on, on the banking industry, but tell me, tell me what your experience was like.
1: Well, Oh, so that was my, so I did fire. right before that. And then I did that. So that was my, from going from military, cause most of my background has been military or uh, running my own DOD company. And it was my second corporate job. And if you've worked in banking, you know that there are a lot of politics. And even before I got hired on, uh, I was actually contracted in. So I worked at Capital One, but I was hired by a contracting company. So the contracting guy worked for the agency and really cool dude. And he was like, hey, you know, there's going to be a lot of politics. And I was like, yeah, I'm like, Mike, I'm like, yeah, no big deal. And then, but my director at Capital One, prior military agency guy, really cool dude. He was like, "Hey, you know, there's going to be a lot of politics," and I'm like, "Okay, like, still, I'm not, I'm not fully really comprehending it." <sighs> yeah, I figured it out within about. It probably took me about four to six weeks. Oh, I figured it out, and um, it was it was almost a blowout on a Slack channel between me and another guy about actually TA-505 and arguing about TA-505 and then me doing a brief. And since I wasn't Intel, I was Fusion. He got upset because I out-briefed him is what happened because they were Intel. And I did a better Intel brief, again, politics. I didn't realize, cause I thought we're all a team. Like I'm just providing additional data for us to reach the end goal. Yeah, I got pulled off to the side by my manager because it it went to like director level, director level and back to my manager about what Mm -hmm. I had did. And I was just, I was blown away. So through that experience, I can tell you it was one of the best learning experiences I have ever had. I had a Mm -hmm. great boss that was understanding that was like, hey, I get that your heart's in the right place, but here's like the environment here. And so from that point on, I, I was my I was a little hurt, I will say. My ego was a little damaged. I like took a seat, you know, took a step back, licked my wounds, and then I'm like, "All right, I got this. I'm going to I'm going to understand politics." So for the next like 10-11 months, I just figured it out, and, and it was a great experience. I helped build their fusion center from the ground up with an amazing team. I was actually just talking to them yesterday. They reached out to me. So I didn't want to leave. I had a great opportunity and so I pivoted, but yeah, it was a learning experience. How was your experience there? Because mine was, yeah, it's a very interesting dynamic, especially just in Capital One. I don't know if that's across the board in banking, but I was like, ooh.
0: Yeah, so, so my experience was almost identical to yours, actually. I started at Bank of America as a contractor, um, and I was doing their vulnerability management, which basically was running Foundstone and reporting which ones are like 30 days, 60 days, 90 days, whatever. Um, so I left and then came back as a full-time employee um, on the risk management team and threat management. And we had people on the team that were X OSI. We had one guy that was special forces, human intelligence. Um, we had multiple people from the military and then a couple uh, business, you know, entrepreneurs that came on, um, the same thing, you know, we would come up with, with this detailed structure of, of a specific group and it, it, it was accepted by some people and rebuked by others. And, you know, it was, it was that whole political game. Yeah. Um, but my experience was a little bit different as when I left, um, I put in my resignation and it was about bonus time, right? And the reason why I put in my resignation is because I knew that the FBI had started an investigation. And I, I wanted to leave the bank because a lot of the stuff had to do with Occupy Wall Street and some of the groups I was with. Uh, So when I resigned, um, they actually gave me a huge bonus. It was like 60 grand to, you know, to stay. Yeah. They basically wanted me to stay. And I was like, you just don't understand. I I can't stay. Like things are going to happen. And, and, you know, I I just got to go. But the experience I had, like the bank was so siloed, right? They Mm -hmm. have the risk management and then they have threat management. Mm -hmm. And those two people don't talk um you know and the credit carding you know the the people who are in charge of the credit cards like they don't want to talk to threat management or risk management like it, it was just really strange that was my first experience with a very siloed environment where politics ruled other than the military because we all know in the military everything is siloed and you know there's always a fight for need to know and all that stuff um yeah, it was really interesting. And looking back back then and some of the uh, threat intel that I was gathering and, and getting into different groups, um, they were really proactive. And it's probably the most proactive industry, in my opinion, when it comes to security and threat management. Uh, even some of the industrial companies I've seen really don't go in that deep as far as uh, the financials did. Um, so yeah, it was, it was really, really interesting. And now you talk about the, the threat actors, that's one of my favorite topics because I've been so involved in that space for so long um, and looking at psychological profiles and each group is different and motivations are different. Um, just off the top of your head, what is your favorite APT group and why?
1: Oh, probably TA five hundred five, And the reason why I liked them so much is because you, nobody knows actually who they are per se. You know, mm-hmm. the, you have these assumptions that they could be Russia. And a lot of people think possibly it's a part of APT 28 or 29. But when you really start like actually doing the research and sitting down and pulling that layer and unpacking TA-505, you don't know who they're associated with. And if anything, my, my belief is I think that behind the scenes, there's a couple of different nexuses that make up TA-505, so I just, I find what they do really fascinating and they're, it's just really hard to create attribution of who actually is that group. But, so, yeah.
0: Yeah, they're really interesting. And they're like the Cicada 303s of the dark world.
1: <laughs> yeah.
0: You know, so yeah. I, th- I thought that was a pretty cool comparison. I love Cicada 303, by the way. Um, but yeah, the, the different threat actors are really interesting. You know, we were talking about IOCs and, and some of the different methods that these groups uh, employ. And I've seen some really unique stuff, um, but one thing that I don't think people understand is a lot of the ransomware that we see is regenerated and mm-hmm. not necessarily used for the same purpose. And I, I, I've, I've come to a theory, and I think it's pretty close to actual fact, mm-hmm. is that a lot of these groups are hired by nation state actors, mm-hmm. a lot of the lower level um, ransomware groups. And they deploy their, their ransomware and, you know, they use the veil of, you know, we want money, but really behind it all is a more intelligence gathering, sort of like China did back in the days of the VA when they actually traded data uh, to build dossiers on, on specific individuals. And I think that that's currently going on today. And I think they're targeting specific industries for that, for that purpose specifically. Um, what, what are your thoughts on that?
1: I think you're spot on. I think that right now we're in a really interesting and dynamic place within the cyberspace. And mm-hmm. I think so because um, we are advancements in technology. If we are just looking from it from the United States and we look at the inv- advancement of technology like IoT devices, we're going to be, you know, it's going to be uh, three times as many IoT devices on our networks by 2024. Um, and then we just look at machine learning and artificial intelligence and those devices that are going to be coming out and then don't even get started on quantum computing. Just looking at that right there, well, we have to consider that our adversaries have these the same capabilities, if not better. Um, and so thinking that these attacks that we're going to see right now are going to be the same in the next year to two years, that's... That's ludicrous. It's not. They're gonna. They're still maturing, and I feel like sometimes at a faster rate than we are for our offensive cyber operations, and they're becoming more creative and smarter for their approaches. And um, what I believe is happening, and has already been happening for quite a long time, is the collections piece. And that's not just through the networks. Let's look at these devices, these mobile devices. Where is most of our chips and our electronic and our devices being made and being brought into the, into the United States? And I'm not talking about I don't want to think anybody think I'm talking about conspiracy, but let's think we have an adversary, a known adversary that makes these devices, but we trust them 110% that they would not put anything on a bios of a, of a computer system that they could at some point in time, turn on and start collecting information off of us. We truly believe that they would never do anything like that. Okay. I don't though. So I think that this collection has been going on for quite some time, I think that they're becoming more creative and they're using different TTPs to make it happen and you're just speaking about one of the many. And so I yeah I would not be surprised if we see something in the future that is we're in a collection posture right now and it's. um, We see it in the military forget what it's called where you you do all your collections before you go out there it's a pattern not pattern of life but. It's the same thing that they're doing. I can't think of the name of it. Mm-hmm. And if I think of it, I'll say it. But um, yeah, it's understanding your environment and your pattern of life and you're creating your intelligence picture. That's what they're doing. Mm-hmm. And then eventually there'll be a culminating event that'll happen or there'll be multiple events to lead up to that event. So I, I absolutely am, uh, yeah, I agree with you 100% that that is what's happening right now. And it's, it's quite frightening. And it's one of the things that definitely keep me up at night thinking yeah. about it.
0: Most definitely. I mean, look at like the past uh, problems we've had, let's say Huawei, right? I mean, the DOD and government were actually buying Huawei equipment and putting them in place and then finding out later, oh, shit, our information is going back to China. And then just recently, the DJI drones, um, we all knew that the information was going back to China, including uh, imagery, uh, geolocation, flight patterns, all that stuff. And who bought those drones? The Secret Service. And it's like, I mean, come on, yeah. let's yeah. get on the same page. Um, but a lot of people too, they, they fight me on this. The fact that the things that that we see other countries doing, they tend to believe that our country does not do that. Mm-hmm. And I try to explain to them that we've been disrupting uh, elections for eons. You know, trying to throw coups and, and get people out of government. Um, we have our own cyber attack. Army. Um, we actually have uh commercial businesses that have malware creation labs. So this is legit. Like we're playing part of the game. We're not innocent. And you know, we this is a the the wars that used to be fought on battlefields are now moving to the ethereal realm. And I think we're gonna see a lot more of that, you know, cat and mouse, cloak and dagger type activity. Um, but what I find really interesting is China is is is. As far as nation states go, I think they're the most interesting to me because if you're a company and you build a facility in China to save on, you know, marketing and, and industrial cost, two days later, across the street may be your same company, but with a Chinese name. But we continue to do that over and over and over again. I used to work for NEC Unified and NEC opened up a plant in China. And shortly thereafter, China had their own NEC company that was producing the same phones. Um, so it's, it's one of those things where, where do we draw the line? I know that we need foreign relations. I know that we need, you know, trade back and forth, but at some point we have to draw a line and say, look, you know, this is enough. You know, you've already stole most of our data. You're replicating our facilities and and costing the us and and the citizens money. So at what point do we cut that off? And I don't know strategically if we ever can. And what, what are your thoughts on that?
1: that is such a, it goes back to politics. So that's where it's, I think we can, but it's the relationship, how, because we could sever and there could be a lot of fallout by doing a cutoff uh, using China, for example, uh, for our imports and exports, especially with electronics, but that's an area or a technology, anything, that's an area that I am really passionate about, I'm studying about it, the cyber law, the policy, the direction that we're going as a, as a country, Mm -hmm. uh, something has to be done. Even if we create friction, we have got to cut that tie. We have to, and we have to start keeping things not only internal, Mm -hmm. but we've got to have a way of, um, doing quality assurance on the products that we put into our federal system specifically. So what does that look like? Like CMMC, the cyber maturity model certification and mm-hmm. vetting all our third-party vendors. So we're going to do that. But what about the Chinese companies where we buy the, our equipment in? How are, are, they're not going to be CMMC certified. How's that going to look? So maybe that's our way, the government's way of going around that where they cut them off. I don't know. That's such, that's such an onion right there, Mike. It's like, yeah. We have to do something about it though, because technology isn't going away. It's only going to become um, more complex. And, and with that complexity, as you know, becomes more vectors to exploit to, and and we don't even know what those are gonna look like yet. We haven't even crossed that bridge yet into that new technological world that we're moving into. I mean. We're, we're in 5g right now we're they're already talking about 6g and we haven't even finished putting up the, the towers and the equipment and being able to fully leverage that capability and we're already moving into 6g it, it's it's crazy it's wild <laughs> yeah.
0: and, and 6g terrestrial you know when you look at Elon Musk going to satellite, You know, at what point is that going to become an issue? You know, I think it already has, but it hasn't been put out in the public yet. But I think that the whole satellite realm and space is going to be another attack factor. Um, But yeah, going back to the financial industry um, and vendor audits and stuff like that, I know that back in 10 years ago, we had at Bank of America, we were doing vendor security audits. Like that was a thing because we had to make sure that our vendors and and third parties were secure because we were getting stuff from them. But that's just now coming into view as a whole through every industry. And it's like, you guys are like 10 years behind. Mm -hmm. Um, And it it blows me away. And even in the military, like everybody thinks that military has the most advanced weapons and, and weapon systems, but that's not always true. You know? And when you look at cyber, like we didn't even think about going to the cyber realm to, to combat, until like 2003, 2004, when a lot of these countries were already there. Mm-hmm. Um, so playing catch up is really hard to do. So in your personal life, Jax, tell me what your passion is and, and, and what you enjoy doing outside of, of cybersecurity. Because to me, uh, you know, balance is super important. And I don't seem to have a lot of it lately uh, because of our ransomware gangs, uh, and their, their shenanigans, but what is your passion outside of cybersecurity?
1: That's so great. I love this because I was this morning, I was laying in bed because I'm still, my knees and hips still hurt from this uh, Ragnar. So I did not go to the gym. So instead I was on my phone looking at the tallest peak in Costa Rica. So I've decided that my new, I love hiking. I love hiking. Like I did the rim to rim. I was getting ready to do Kilimanjaro um that was one thing I was really good at put a whole bunch of weight on my back and I could go for miles and miles at a really ridiculous pace and so I've decided that I'm just going to start flying into countries and climbing like the highest peak now I don't have any desire to do um the tallest peak in the world or anything crazy like that but like Kilimanjaro Costa Rica has like a 12,000 foot peak, which is not, that's not anything for me. Cause I used to do the 14 ers in Colorado. So nice. hiking, um, but I need to find better balance. Mike, I, I admit it. I in school full-time or run a company, I have a YouTube channel, I do podcasts and I mentor. And there are times where, yeah, I get a little wonky. So I, yeah, yeah. it's just my, my OCD. And then having a TBI, you just like I hyper-focus into stuff sometimes a little oh, too yeah. unhealthy. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> As you know. Yeah. Absolutely.
0: Yeah. yeah. I, I experienced that actually in Baltimore. Um, I was debriefing the NSA on some stuff and went out into uh, Baltimore and went to an ATM. And after I left the ATM and went to dinner, me and a Marine, I, I came out of the restaurant and got mugged by like five people and oh, had wow. a, got a TBI, TBI from it. Um And it it does, it does cause you to be like hyper-focused on certain, I get down to the minutiae and I get so rabbit hole in that minutiae that time escapes me. And before I know it, I've spent 12 hours working on something very small. Um, So balance is super important. So there's no Mount Everest in your future.
1: I have I'm kind of one of those people too, that if everybody else does it, I have no desire to do it. And it's just, it's gotten so uh, public, like publicized and people die too. And it costs like 50,000, maybe one day, I'm not going to rule it out, but it's definitely because of that. It's not on my bucket list. I, and I also want to do hikes that like 13, 14, 19,000 feet, those are all enjoyable. Oh yeah. And I don't really have to train too much. I can stay in like my natural shape and go do it. But Everest, I mean, that's a lot. That's a good that's a year commitment of training. And um, I don't know. We'll see. For sure. For I sure. don't want to roll anything out. I never say absolute. So we'll see. Yeah.
0: yeah. I love hiking um almost to the point of death. So I got my Yes, pace.
1: I'm the same way. <laughs>
0: I got my pacemaker put in in 2017, I think, so around that time frame. Mm-hmm. And a week later, I was rucking with a 40-pound sack 12 miles. You're and yes. end I ended up having to go to the hospital because my potassium level was so dangerously low. But let me tell you, getting a potassium IV without it being diluted is horrible. It's the most excruciating pain in the world. It feels like 100 hornets are stinging, stinging you.
1: Yeah, all over your body
0: through your veins like your oh veins, geez I, yeah <laughs> so oh, it's geez. it's dangerous to do that so anybody watching and you want to go on a hike make sure you drink water and take a banana or something and don't yeah. do 12 miles with a 40 pound sack after being in a hospital for like a week Bad that's idea.
1: what i was just gonna say that that's probably what the kicker was but yeah, yeah. no i always tell people i like to hike till death sometimes and they're like why would i hike with you then but it's <laughs> i don't know it's it feels so good like I try to find if I'm in Colorado I try to find if I only have a few hours I try to find on all trails the hardest hike shortest distance and I'll usually try to do a peak and go straight up or something and people are like you're I don't understand but like you it's like I don't know it's the heart's racing you're exhausted yeah your knee like legs my knees don't usually hurt but my legs are like tight I don't it's I think that's just our sick military minds. <laughs> keep,
0: keep pushing, keep pushing. Yes. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And even in the military, like I had problems with my right knee. Um, I was working, uh, doing some training with a fast company and we were doing dune runs, like sand runs.
1: Oh my God. Those are the worst.
0: Oh. Uh, horrible, horrible. <laughs> and it, I twisted my knee and I thought it was all over with. I was on PT for like six months. Um, and then I was on crutches for like two and I uh, got through the military, got out of the military, and almost immediately had two ACL replacements. Um, so I had apparently torn my ACL in the military and they just kind of overlooked it. Um, but yeah, like the, the whole push mentality, like there is no stopping, I think is what drives me. And that drives me in business too. Like I find myself doing that um, on the average workday, especially working in, you know, working on ransomware, instant response. It's like it can be a 24 hour day job. And people sometimes have to tell me, "Hey, look, I've got this for a couple hours. Why don't you go get some rest?" Because yep. they can tell they can tell when I reach that that point where I'm exhausted because I no longer am the fun guy and I'm more of the let's just get shit done and quit bullshitting. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, then the military really comes out. <laughs> um, so I try to keep I try to keep that hidden as much as possible. Um, what do you
1: do i want to know what you do to keep balance in your life like because you we have similar personalities i can tell so yeah when do you feel like i'm starting to get burned out i need to take i need to take some time and take a step back
0: so I, i get that from a couple fronts right i i get that burnout from my job i get that burnout from the community i started the haunted hacker community. Um, and there's certain things that go on and I just, I have to tone them out because if I don't, then I'm going to obsess about it and people are not going to be happy. Um, recently, I, I was just ready to throw the band hammer on everybody uh, because I, I was just burned out. Um, but what I do personally for that, um, and it sounds really silly, but I do a lot of meditation, a lot of uh, mindfulness, um, put myself in the present, trying to stay that way. Um, and also I, I, make candles Um, I know that sounds really weird but um, I do a lot of essential oil candles Uh, I call it the cyber escape candle because I I think it helps you know when I work I sometimes I light a candle and it kind of gives me that that balance I think mentally it gives me a balance Um, but I also do like fly fishing Um, just recently went into the uh, rivers of North Carolina and did some fly fishing Um, literally (laughs) literally almost went down the river. I fell off of a rock that was off of the the water, about three feet onto my back and started sliding into the river. And I thought, oh, this is it. I'm going to die fly fishing. Oh my God. But I do that. I I,
1: would love to learn fly fishing. Was that hard to learn? It seemed, it looks difficult. I need to just go take a class or something.
0: I I didn't even do that. So my fly fishing started out in Yellowstone. Um, When I was younger, I worked in Yellowstone during the summers and i lived in the park i lived in canyon village yeah and so i saw these guys out there fly fishing And i had just seen the movie or river runs through it and Mm -hmm. i thought that looks calming and it looks like something very fulfilling so i went out and just taught myself how to do it bought a rod and you know before i knew it i was not only casting but i was also tying my own flies depending on the hatch of of you know the environment and time of year Uh, and there's nothing better than creating a fly, like tying your own fly and going out and using that fly and catching a fish on it. Like yeah. to me, that, to me, that's epic. Cause you, you, have understood the, the, the fish, you've understood the environment and you have something to show for it. Um, other than that, just uh, you know, I like, I like hiking. I now live in the mountains of Tennessee uh, mm. and you know, I it's love just,
1: Tennessee. Oh yeah.
0: <laughs> so I live in Chattanooga. So it's not a big city, but it's yeah. not a little city. Right. Um, but yeah, just the environment, um, I think breaking away from the city every once in a while and just like enjoying the outdoors, that to me is key because going back to military days, like that's the environment that that I thrive in. Um, and in nature, I can be alone and I can have all the morons quieted and there's nobody talking because I also have Asperger's. And so I get overwhelmed by a lot of things. Um, so it's important for me to, to break away and isolate and calm things down every once in a while. Uh, but yeah, our, our personalities are definitely, definitely similar. Um, I've also, uh, I had started my own company at one point and about to start another one. So tell me what it was like for you, Jax, to start up your own company and get it going. Because that that to me, with our, with our mindset, that is really interesting and important, I think.
1: Yeah. So the first time, so I started my own company at 19. So that was my first entrepreneur. So it was always kind of part of me. I was hustling perfume out of the trunk of my car at 19 <laughs> years old. So I did that for about a year right before I joined the military. Um, So I just had that entrepreneur spirit. But when I really launched a firm, it was a DoD contracting firm, women-owned, veteran known, that whole thing, you know, Nix codes, all that. And it was focused in the intelligence space, physical intelligence to provide, and I say physical intelligence, like we provided physical beings and personnel, women operators that had 10 plus years experience either and the military or elite law enforcement swap personnel. And we would provide um, on-ground support to embed, for example, we had an operation where I had a team of women that would embed in the eco-terrorist cells that were trying to vandalize the DAPL pipeline, the oil pipeline, back in 2016, right after Trump had been elected. There was a whole bunch of vandalization and a lot of these eco-terrorist cells were starting to set up camp in the indigenous areas, and they were trying to stop the, the laying of the pipeline. And so I had a company that hired us, and so we provided early warning and intelligence and stuff. It was a challenge um, because I was a token woman, a token company working again in a very male dominated area. Most of the companies I worked for were like triple canopies stuff. So very alpha male special op guys. And it was really hard to get work. I had a business partner at the time that it was not the most ideal environment. I learned a great deal from him, but I, I realized that I didn't know what I didn't know about business and he wasn't teaching me everything. So there was a lot of things that in a way I got taken advantage of, but that wasn't his fault. It was because I, I was not knowledgeable about what was past performance and how to do certain things on contracts, all this stuff. So in, in 2018, um, due to bad decisions, not, um, not assessing and taking care of my PTSD from deployment, all these things, Mike, I went homeless. I lost everything. My business partner and I split ways the first part of 2018. And I was really determined to be like, you know what? I'm going to show you. I don't need you. I can do all these things. Well, at the same time, I had really toxic friends. Um, I, I, you know, was internally going through my own trauma, but that was the point in time where I hit rock bottom owning, running my company. I mean, I hit it hard, and I like started digging. <laughs> so I had an opportunity. A friend of mine, Sergeant Major, reached out and said, "Hey, we have a deployment 2019 going to Eastern Europe. Love to have you on it." Literally didn't even give me a choice. He's like, "You're coming on as the cyber warrant officer," and so I had nothing else really going on. I was living on the floor of my friend's house, and I said, "Okay, let's do it." And I closed my business doors, and I made it happen. And that was the turning point in my life because I. I was finally able, like you said, about getting into nature. Well, that was kind of my breakaway, get rid of the noise, start over. I had a steady paycheck. I I really put my head down in business books, podcasts. And then I sat there and I said, what do I not like about my current environment? And how do I change it? And I did this huge shift in my life. And so when I decided to relaunch my company this summer of this year, um, it was, uh, it was not planned. It was, but it wasn't. I was working for a company that, uh, it turned out they did not have the budgetary. Uh, they didn't have the budget in place for me after they had just hired me on and I was released from the company. I was laid off. And as soon as that happened, Mike, that was the summer of the share. I was sitting right here in this desk and the HR woman didn't even turn on her camera when she told me that I was laid off. They didn't give me an explanation outside of just, we have budgetary restrictions. And it was a shitty feeling. And Mm -hmm. a lot of PTSD came back, like being homeless and everything. But instead of me sitting there and feeling sorry for myself, I sat there for about five minutes and I'm like, okay, this, and I recognize this sucks. This is a crappy situation to be in, Um, but I'm a lot better and I'm in a much better place than I was in 2018. And the first thing I thought was, you're gonna run your own company, you can do this. And I literally went on LinkedIn, I changed my title, I put my company name back up there. I already, my company was, still, my LLC and everything was still active. Changed it all. And I started making phone calls to uh, CEOs that I knew in the space to let them know that my company, I didn't tell them what happened. I just said, you know, uh, my company's up and running, this is the space we're in, love to do work with you. And then I reached out to a dear friend of mine and I said, as soon as I had called him, he answered and he said, well, uh, I called him that afternoon. So that Mm -hmm. evening, so I'd been planning and doing all this stuff. And that evening I called him and first thing he says, he said, well, looks like you have some extra time on your hands, huh? And I was like, (laughs) thanks Joe. And he's like, hey, he gave me some suggestions. He said, Mm CMMC is a big space. Um, I I will support you on the back end.'" He has a big firm. He's like bringing clients will support. And the next thing you know, yeah, I did a hard pivot. And I will tell you, I've already landed one contract. We just submitted a proposal. Actually, you're submitting it this afternoon for a possible second contract. And I believe, and I have faith that not only is, uh, will my company maybe be wildly successful, but it's going to, my life will completely change. And it's, It's because this time around, I not only had the right network and the right friends, the right, and the right circle around me, but Mm -hmm. it was my mindset of going into this differently. So uh, it's, you have to fall like business, like you have to fall. You have to learn because there were so many things I was doing wrong the first time I ran my company, Mm -hmm. but now today I'm just, I'm in a really healthy space. So I'm really excited about Outpost Gray and myself and like the direction. Yeah.
0: That's really awesome. It sounds really good. And you know, Kudos to you for for bringing it back up and and starting over again. When I came back to uh, the US last October, um, actually a a year ago, almost to the date, um, I came back to the US with 60 pounds that the UK government gave me to fly back and be repatriated, Um, had no place to go, Uh, literally was homeless um, on a drastic scale, had no money to my name, had no job, um, nothing. I was literally deported, sort of deported, sort of escorted uh, back to the US um, and had to start all over again. Uh, I had to find a place to live. I had to find a job. Um, and with my background, it was very difficult um, because of the things I'd done in my past. But you know, there's a certain sense of accomplishment when you reach that very bottom and you're able to bring yourself up to a point where, hey... I feel normal again because I, I don't know about you when 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 you were homeless and, and dealing with all that, but I felt less than human. You know, it was like I'm back in the country that I'm supposed to be. You know, a citizen of, and I can't get a bank account. I don't have a place to live. No money. No job. This was not my choice to come back. You know, so what do I do? I was so baffled. Um, but luckily, I had a friend of mine from high school that gave me a place to live. And and I lived with him for a good while, almost a year Uh, and just recently branched off and started getting a bank account, even though I can only have like a savings account. It's not like a real account. Um, I'm starting to rebuild myself. And one thing that helped me was the podcast, uh, talking to others and and hearing their story and how, you know, they became who they are and, and what steps they took to get there. And that helped me a lot because in my mind, I was so lost. I was like, what do I do now? You know, like I knew I couldn't stop. I had to keep going. Cause that's the whole mantra of, you know, what I've done for the past 20 years, but it was like, but which way do I go? Um, and so the idea of starting a company is really appealing. Um, at one point I thought I was going to turn the podcast into a company itself. Um, uh, but I'm not so, not so sure of that, um, I think, you know, I've always wanted to give back to the community. I always have. that's been my point since I've, been released by the FBI and, and kind of let go. Um, I think the, the next step for me is starting another company. Um, you and I shortly talked about it before we started recording, um, giving back to me is what that means to me is going after groups that are taking away from, from small businesses, from companies and, and making people's lives miserable. And ransomware is one of those, one of those things. Um, so look for an anti-ransomware group to pop up in the short future, um, to actively go after ransomware groups. <laughs> so I yes. won't say, I won't say how we're going to do that, but it's, it's going to get ugly really quick. Um, and that's just how I operate. I like to, I like the shock and awe and just take things over. Um, Yeah. Awesome. I, th- I, think it's, I think it's really cool where you came from. And I read the whole story about, you know, how you, how you were homeless and how you built yourself back up. And that's one of the main reasons why I wanted you on the show, not just because you have an amazing background, but you have a real story, like a, a personal story. Um, a lot of people, you know, jump into the industry and, you know, they're CEOs or they come from a business background. They have n- they've not had any real struggle because they haven't been outside the U.S., Um, those of us have been in the military and seen what it's like in other countries, you know, it's a huge thing to, to have to build yourself back up. A lot of these people haven't had that experience. And I think that's where the mindset of helping people out comes from. I think that's pretty inherent with anybody that goes into the military. So Jax, I, I super appreciate you being on the show. And I think at some point we should do some collaboration. I think that we have similar mindsets and, and I think we could produce something really cool. Um, anything else you want to add before we shut down the podcast?
1: I have a question for you before we shut it down. Yeah. So sure. I am super interested because, you know, your background and we're going to have to have you on our podcast, Hackers and Hexans, because we're very similar in that of being able to, I, we have a podcast to be able to allow people platform to share their stories. And I'm curious from your background and where you're at today, if there are individuals right now that are like struggling to get in this space and there, and I actually, I had somebody message me. I don't know her at all. She messaged me on LinkedIn late last night. I saw it this morning and she is just, she's so desperate and she can't get a job. She's applied and all these things. And being in those desperate places, it's, it can seem like endless. So, is there advice that you would give to somebody to help them through that, that where they're at in their life? Like maybe it's breaking into the industry or maybe there's in a place like where we've been where it's like, yeah, is this ever going to end?
0: Yeah. So, so I do have some advice about that. And I had to teach myself and learn from my own advice. Um, when I went through that situation. Um, first of all, you have to be in a good mental state, right? You have to be okay. You have to be faithful in, in what you're doing and know project that that's going to happen. You have to almost like put yourself in a position where you have a job, you're, you're associated in industry and you're moving up. You have to view yourself that way. Um, once you start projecting that, it comes to you, but the main, main point is you have to be mentally okay. You have to have some sort of routine and you can't quit. Um, I've had so many doors shut my face because of my background or, um, because of other things. And I, you just can't stop at that. You can't let that shut you down. You have to believe in yourself and you have to keep moving. And among other things is you have to maintain relationships. Um, and I, I preach about this all the time. Cybersecurity is not about the ones and zeros. It's not about the new techniques, the new tactics, the new hacking tools. It's all about people, people in relationships. Um, if you can build relationships and maintain them, then things will, things will work out. You'll have positive results. But the moment you start isolating yourself and not reaching out to other people and not giving back just something, and it doesn't have to be something affiliated with cybersecurity, but just giving back and getting out of yourself when you feel low makes things so much better and so much easier. Um, And I try to do that all the time. You know, if if someone contacts me and says, hey, um, I want to become a a pen tester, Uh, what do I do? Well, you've already done the first thing, you've already identified what you want to do. Now it's just building a path and seeing yourself in that position. Um, and today I talk about this a lot too, is today the, the people getting into the industry, there are so many resources. You know, I started out when BBSs were around and there were no resources and knowledge was kind of tribal and guarded. Yeah. So but now with Google and hack the box and all kinds of resources, it, it, it's easy to go out and teach yourself those skills um but yeah that'd be my advice and reach out to other people and a major thing yeah and a major thing too is like once you get in that spot and you start burning out and you start feeling low reach out to somebody because we have a huge issue in this industry with mental health um i've lost several friends because of suicide so that would be it
1: well you're the best thank you mike this was wonderful
0: I, I really enjoy it and I definitely think that we have to do it again and I wish you the best with your, with your company. And if you need any help with anything, let me know and, and I'll do what I can.
1: Yeah. And Haunted and Hacker community, be prepared for Mike and I to be doing some collab work in the future. Be yeah. Awesome. Steve.
0: Awesome. <laughs> All right, Jax, have a good day and uh, thank you for your time today and uh, we'll see you next time. Absolutely. Thanks guys.
1: Bye.